This podcast is brought to you by audible.com. Now you can receive a free audiobook if you go to audible.com and sign up to become a member. And then download an audiobook with your free credit. And even if you cancel your membership, you can keep that book forever. And that's at audible.com. And by the Train Yard Cafe. Open from 9 to 5 weekdays and 9 to 12 on Saturdays. You can go there for your coffee and snacks and teas. And even on Friday evenings, they have a band. And the band's pretty okay. That's at the Train Yard Cafe. Cada día Gracias a esta vida Cada día Me nace nueva melodía Yo sabía Que algún día You know, I was going through my cupboard and it's one of those days where I decided to, you know, just do absolute and utter comfort for myself. You ever have one of those days? You know, where you just, you're off the back of a lot of social events where you've, you've been out for a fair bit and your internal batteries are drained and you just want to spend some time, you know, completely and utterly by yourself. I'm like that right now. So I've decided to take it to the next level and wear the most, you know, comfiest clothes that I could possibly wear right now. We've all got those clothes where they may not be glamorous. They may have be drab. They may be even like really old. Really, really, really old. But damn it, when you put those things on, they are the most comfy, comfy clothes in the world. I know this is called Comfy Place, but let's just dedicate you know this episode to those comfy clothes because I'm pretty sure that I may be talking about you know mine right now. But in your mind, you're thinking of yours, and it's a wonderful thing. You tend to get these over time. You know... You, you buy something and it's, it's really good, it's really comfortable, but it takes, you know, months or sometimes even years just to really get it right and really wear it in. Can I, can I tell you about mine? Cool. Okay. So, it starts with a blue uh, hoodie that I wear. It's a blue hoodie, um, Everlast on the, on the front. It's not really important when you think about it, but... It's a blue hoodie and it's just, it's just perfect. And then I've just got these denim jeans that are just fantastic. And just, they're just comfortable. Dare I say it, that just, I've worn them for a few years and so my body has just put it to a point where it's, it's fantastic and it's amazing and I'm perfectly and utterly at ease. It's cold right now. In Melbourne, it's cold. And so I'm taking, you know, what I can to make sure that I'm comfortable. And so I am. I'm absolutely and utterly comfortable. I hope you are too. I hope you are relaxing. 
wherever you are in the world, you're taking a moment for yourself to kick back and relax. I may be biased, but you deserve it. You absolutely and utterly deserve it. So yeah, so relax, kick back, enjoy in your you know comfy place. Okay, I have some cool stuff to talk to you guys about. Um, you might hear the mouse clicking away because I'm just you know loading up the uh, the uh, the various bits of good news. I've got some first bit of good news, which is a bit random. It comes in a bit of a form of a story. This is uh, from the website care.org. Let me read the the title to the motorcycle, the high bun, and the best cup of coffee in Vietnam. Okay, here we go. Byline, it wasn't love at first sip. Bit cheesy. But I'll allow it, because it's got coffee, and I love coffee. Oh, um, my coffee this morning, before I begin, just to let you know, fantastic. Absolutely and utterly fantastic. I don't, I don't think I could open a, you know, a cafe, but if I did, if I did, Love at first sip. Now that'd be a name for a cafe. <laughs> Wonderful. But anyway, so mine this morning was was fantastic. Um, now you might be thinking that every morning a coffee is fantastic and very degrees of, of accuracy there. That yeah, it, it is very fantastic. But every now and then, you ever had it where you just get it just right, just right, and you just take that sip and you're like, wow, this cup of coffee belongs in a museum and not in the cafeteria of the museum you know like where they sell coffee but on a plinth with you know lights and stuff and it has a little you know that artistic little board thing that you get at at the uh, the cafes not cafes the museums and it says pristine cup of coffee or something more pretentious like The One and Only by Andrew Neibert. And it'll just be there, locked perfectly. Now I think about it, that is both equally wonderful and a shame to take something so beautiful and then lock it behind a glass, you know, um, glass dome and then have lasers and then guards and... And, and and all other various security elements that offer security, but at the same time are incredibly stupid and easily, you know, um, easily uh, uh, you can circumvent. Lasers, for instance. You can go between them and the, uh, you know, the, the fly spray, what's the fly spray, the hairspray that lets you know what the lasers are, as opposed to just like a, universal movement detector that can't be diverted oh and my favorite is um in those installations and surely this would be one for me with you know coffee you've got the air duct just above the thing that needs that's being protected and it is the size you know of a, a decent human being that can go along and 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 crawl it You'd think the planning moment, you'd think that at that point in time when they're reviewing, you know, the plans for the place and they're looking at the, the duct going, that's very large. 
if we need to push through that much air, why don't we just join, you know, four smaller ones so no human could go through it? Yeah. Anyway, um, sorry, digress. Coffee was great. Absolutely and utterly fantastic. Um, and and perfectly right. I actually have this cup. Um it's 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 an ember cup. Um if you've never heard of this thing, if you could take a cup and add an element of witchcraft or voodoo or druid magic. Why don't we say druid magic? There we are, druids, you know, Lord of the Rings stuff. Um, stone uh, statues in circles around druids. I'm going to do that from now on. I think the druids need to get a bit of a, you know, representation when you're thinking about sort of mythical stuff. So, yeah. So the druid magic with this um, ember cup is that it keeps your coffee warm. It's going to sound really weird. And, um, okay, so simple thing. It, it, it gets charged. It's got a battery, and I guess there's a heating element that, that heats it. It has a really, really pretentious iPhone and Android app. And you load the sucker up, and you can, like, tell it what temperature you want. So good. And why is it good? Glad you asked. Allow me to explain it to you why it's good. In summer, who cares? But in winter, especially in Melbourne, and especially on those cold days, you know those cold days where you just want your coffee to last forever, but the last 20%, 30%, hey, even 50%, depending on if you're busy, you know, it gets like really like yuck, lukewarm and stuff like that. Oh, sure, you can go and put it in the microwave and heat it up, you know, like a caveman. Or... The Ember. Now, this isn't a sponsored by Ember. That'd be fantastic if it was. Um, if you end up buying one, could you just put in the Comfy Place podcast in the thing so they maybe one day I'll get an email from them saying, hey, here's some free stuff. Anyway, um, you load the coffee, load the coffee, you pour the coffee in, and then it'll just maintain the temperature. And how long will it maintain the temperature for, Andrew? I hear you ask. That is an excellent question. It'll maintain the temperature for, I think, about three hours. Could you imagine your single cup of coffee lasting for three hours? I can't. It won't. It'll, it'll, you know, it's there to be drunk. But what's really cool is the last half of the, um, of the cup. It's the same temperature as when you just started. That's when it gets really weird because of all the times that I've had a cup of coffee, you kind of accept the last bit's going to be a little bit colder. Not with this. So yeah, it's really cool. Do I um, use it all the time? No. Um, like anything in my life, um, I forget to charge it. And like anything that hasn't been charged, it will transition from being useful to incredibly useless. Well, actually not. It's still a cup. It'll still hold stuff, but you might as well just get another cup and go from there. So that's the Ember. Really, really, really cool. And that's what I've been using for the coffee cup. And that was the killer combination with this morning's coffee. And, um, and yeah, and, and just it lasted forever. So it was fantastic. 
really good. I'm so sorry if you're laying in bed or you're trying to go to sleep right now and I am talking about coffee because right now you're like, damn it, I just want to get up and drink a coffee. I'm even more sorry if you don't drink coffee. This little story could equally be beneficial, or the cup could equally be as beneficial with you know, tea or chai latte or hot chocolate or whatever. But for me, it was coffee. Anyway, getting back to the, uh, the story. It wasn't love at first sip. This takes place in the place of Vietnam, which I need to tell you how amazing Vietnam is. If you haven't gone to Vietnam, oh boy. And if you live near Vietnam, then what's your excuse? And if you have been to Vietnam, then you know exactly what I am talking about. And then you're equally as nodding your head with what I'm about to say. Vietnam is one of the most relaxed, charming, tranquil places even when it's a little noisy, on earth. It's beautiful. It's absolutely and utterly beautiful. I love it. And so whenever I see a, um, you know, an article about Vietnam, I get this flash, you know, these, these, the flashes of just your past holidays and past experiences and things like that. Did I ever tell you of the time I, hang on, I should probably start from the start because it was actually a really cool time. I, I might have mentioned it before in a previous episode, but if you've just joined on, then, you know, it'd be cruel to start talking about Vietnam and not mentioned one of the most amazing and random uh, nights and following mornings of my life. If you've you rem- remembered this, then you know enjoy the sequel or the retelling. I guess. You know when you go to a country and you quote unquote you know know about the country, and that quote unquote know often is like basically what you've been told maybe a smattering of what you've seen online and Instagram and TikTok and Google and stuff. Um, and then, of course, you know, just, just what you've learned. And those are great, but they never really give you the heart and soul of a country, do they? They never really do. And whenever you go to a country and you experience the culture and the food and you know, the landscape, it's always, always kind of like what you were, you know, seen, but so much more, so much more depth, so much more color, so much more flair, style, and pizzazz. Don't know why that came to mind. Um, This night was one of the most amazing and random nights of my life. Let me walk you through it. I didn't really plan this, but I just feel like talking about it because it's kind of cool. Okay. So... Uh, was then with with the current girlfriend at the time, and we were. Um, when was this? Oh man, it was like a few years ago now. But um, okay, so we're over there 
friends and family and stuff like that were there and they'd planned this trip to go to this location and it was a f- it was a location that I really didn't, didn't know much about and I'm the kind of guy that when I go to you know a foreign part of the world I just go with the flow and I, I don't really need to know too much details of where we're going I'll find out when I get there and I, that's I, that's just me that's kind of cool uh, unless I'm doing like a, you know, photography thing or something like that. And then I'll research the hell out of the location, including, uh, but not limited to when the sun's going to rise and when the shadows are going to be there. There's these apps that do that, by the way. Super nerdy, super cool. Um, and also it's impossible to tell someone about this and also sound cool by association. So I'm just going to keep moving on. The, this night. Okay. So I was told one thing that's going to be a bit of a drive. And, and let me just be clear with this, a bit of a drive, quote unquote. We wake up at about 12 o'clock in the morning, woken up. The van is here, we're told. Um, I then, you know, wake up. I went to bed kind of early to get a bit of a sleep and get woken up. I'm in a daze. And we get, you know, moved out. We're in a van and driving away and... You know, the immediate family's there. I think there's about 12 in this minivan. They are squished together, but they're all laughing. They're basically um, laughing at, uh, and this was pointed out to be, um, in broken sort of Vietnamese and English, they pushed their hand kind of against the head of my hair. You know, not my hair, but like their own head, sort of like to indicate many things. It could be like, you've been hit on the head with a brick. Just imagine pushing your hand, your palm, like bang, bang, bang on, on your hair. And so they, they all started doing this. Um, and I was asked what the hell's going on and apparently, yeah, my hair had just gone into some crazy-ass mohawk. It does that. It really does. So, yeah, anyway, so I laughed that off. They all laughed. There's no malice. There's no, there's no like, teasing. It's all just funny. That's that's kind of the laid back nature of the, of of the Vietnamese. There's no there's nothing behind it. It's just just funny. We hop in. We're driving uh, through the seats of the through streets of um, Ho Chi Minh City, and immediately this TV comes down, like one of those like communal TVs where we're just going to watch you know the um, the video together. And I can only describe what I saw as four comedic men on stage dressed. Curiously like the Wiggles, like really, really, really like the Wiggles. And they're doing some sort of comedic routine in, in, in Vietnamese. So I'm looking at this screen. I cannot understand a word that they're saying. It's kind of like I've just had a linguistic stroke and I can't understand a damn thing. And behind me, the entire 12, 13 immediate and somewhat removed, you know, uncles and aunties and, and, you know, all various people, grandmothers and stuff like that, they are absolutely killing themselves laughing. This comedic routine, they're good. They're very good. And so they're laughing like crazy. So I turned behind me. Obviously, there was a joke. I don't know what it was. I could see the comedic timing. There's something about universal humor movement. Does that make sense? And so I could see that. So then I'm watching this TV show and I'm listening to the laughter behind me. And it's nonstop. It's this, these, these, these four 
uh, comedians, they had a killer routine and they were just smashing out the jokes left, right, left, right. And these people behind me, they went from you know laughing to really laughing to a bit of a silence so they can get their breath back. And now I know there's a universal thing where, you know, when someone's laughing so much and they get a moment of just, you know, breathing, they'll do that noise of, ah, is it a sigh? Sorry if you're falling asleep, but you know, I couldn't really do that, um, you know, softly. So they did that, but then they just belted out another joke and these guys just erupted behind me. So I'm grinning, looking back at the people behind me in the chairs. I'm looking forward. Meanwhile, the driver's, I think it's not his first time that he's seen this thing. Um, so so he's kind of chuckling, knowing what's coming. And then the outside, in the darkness, there's there's just life going on in the streets of, of Ho Chi Minh City. There's noodle shops, there's motorbikes, there's, there's you know, neon lights. It's, it's happening. And so, yeah, I... I love it. And I'm just grinning like, what the hell? I've, you need to understand, I went from asleep to awake, out the door, down the stairs, into this minivan, laughter, hair, it's a spike, and sit down, they take off, all in like five minutes max. Then this thing comes down, it goes on, and these people erupt with laughter. So I'm dealing with this somewhat, um, but it's hilarious at the same time. And this continues for about an hour, a solid hour, and the randomness just is not lost on me. And so, yeah, that was that was a great start to a night. Now, this isn't the random thing. Um, as we roll on, we leave, you know, the city, and the the walled up, you know, uh, buildings and and the tight roads give way to, you know, wider roads. The more typical of what you get when you when you leave a city. I still had no idea how far this place was, and over the next few hours, I learned that this place was not close at all. And so I lulled back into this. I'm excited because I'm going to a location and I'm traveling. I don't know where the hell I am. I don't know how long it's going to take, and the street signs and the lights start to become more sparse um, and this allowed for the moonlight to come out and just shine on the landscape around and give it that sort of silver hue that that monotone shades of grey um, you know look about the place which in itself was incredibly romantic because Vietnam does a lot of things very well what it does extremely well is a landscape. You get the rice fields, you get the, the, the palm trees, you get, it's pretty flat when we started, but you just get that silhouette and the symmetry. There's something incredibly satisfying about a rice field. You know, if you're any what OCD like me, oh, a rice field, mm, it is orderly. It is squares lined up. It's, it's, yeah, it's the OCD's farmer's paradise. And so, traveling on for that i've got my head out the window i'm lulling into this relaxation um, people are falling asleep they're probably exhausted from laughing too much and i just watch the world go by a few hours later 
time we we drive through a small, I guess, country town, village. It's very small. Um, and I'm not lying with this. This is not making up. I'm not doing this big, you know, for drama's sake. There appears to be a funeral going on. It's about 3 a.m. now in the morning. And I see, I hazard about 80 to 100 people walking along. They're wearing headbands, like as if it was a Karate Kid tribute um, costume show. And there's, there's a pine casket in the middle. And they're walking along. And they're solemn. The bus driver slows the bus down and you know, at a respectful speed. Most people are asleep, but they don't see this. And as quickly as it comes, it, it's there and then it goes. And I see it behind me. And with that thought in my mind, I then watch the countryside for another three hours. I think I'd been in the... the, the uh, I think it was about five and a half hours total about the trip. Again, it was very, very strange. And the time was compressed because, you know, when you go into somewhere for the first time, one minute feels like ten. I don't know why that happens, but it does. So we eventually arrive at a location. It's black of night. The moon is now gone. And, again, with that explanation, everyone, I assume, knows exactly what's going on there. The van pulls over. And to the right, there's a, I'm going to call it a roadhouse. Everyone files in. And I, I just step out into the, the pitch black of night. And I'm looking around and I can see starlight, a lot of stars. I see the, uh, the, um, the roadhouse, just off the road. Let me describe to you the roadhouse. Because it's very different to probably what you're thinking of right now, of a you know a roadside place where people stop over and eat and have some drinks and stuff like that. It had a red terracotta floor, very large, very wide. It could accommodate you know two hundred people easily. It had these pillars along you know along the uh, the square or rectangle uh, you know terracotta floors. There were some tables all strewn about on the inside of the terracotta floors, and then a very, very high-peaked ceiling, as if it was going to accept snow. It never would, but just in case, if snow did come down, that roof was ready. It was ready to take on that snow that would never come. On the left-hand side, if you're looking directly towards the, the roadhouse from the road, lined in perfect unison, were all of these hammocks, in Vietnam, a roadhouse, you can have a meal or you can just kick back on a hammock in the roadhouse. And instantly like that, I thought every single roadhouse or roadside eatery, whatever, they need to have this because everyone falls in and they curl up and they immediately just go back to sleep. The sleep discipline was was surprising and it was very, very, very impressive. I could not fall asleep. I was so excited. I was in a random part of the world and I didn't know where the hell I was and all I could see was starlight and then as closer to the horizon in jagged lines were the absence of starlight and so clearly those were mountains because there was no stars and there was no clouds. 
So yeah, I then laid back in one of the, you know, the hammocks, eyes wide open, just looking. And as it happens every single day, dawn started to appear. And this is where it became wild and amazing. Stay with me. If you haven't fallen asleep yet, five more minutes. Give me five more minutes. I'm laying there. And then I slowly see as the sun rises, the the blackness of the night gives way to the rising shades of grey. God, that book ruined that analogy. Now we think of the book. Forget the book for a second. Rising shades of grey. And as more and more light slowly made its way, I could start to see, you know, details. And I was looking at the surrounding mountainside and the, you know, the lush greenery and the palm trees and the jungle, which is what Vietnam is notorious for. Remember that bit right at the start where I said, I quote unquote knew about a country? And whenever I leave a place, I am always educated into, you know, the color, the flair, and dare I say it, the pizzazz. Because this brought some pizzazz. Because those jagged lines, those mountainsides of greenery weren't greenery at all. They were rolling yellow sand dunes. And this became slowly evident to me. I immediately tried to just deny what's going on clearly in front of us. We're actually pretty good at doing that. And so I was in shock thinking, no, this isn't what? They're not sand dunes. The thing about a sand dune is the consistency. For instance, if... You're standing in front of a sand dune and you think to yourself, that's not a sand dune. Nay, you say to yourself, there is no way in hell that's a sand dune. Let's take it to the next level. You go to the next guy, person next to them, and you say, guess what? That's not a sand dune. You could hold seminars. You could get a loudspeaker. You could put together the best PowerPoint presentation that you have ever done about the fact that that thing there is not a sand dune. And that sand dune, because it's consistent, will keep on being a sand dune, regardless of what you think it is. And so my mind was doing this exact same thing. Internally, I was holding rallies, I was giving speeches, I was PowerPoint presentations. The power of no sand dunes and you. Three steps into ensuring your future with a sand duneless world. The whole thing. Shock and awe. But you know, I'm the kind of guy that eventually gives up on something. Um, and when the evidence presents itself, I'll, I'll, I'll flip like the wind. And so I then realized, get this, strap in for this. It's a sand dune. Oh, yeah. I slowly stand up. I make my way out to the road. And I look left. And I look right. And there's sand 
everywhere around us. Everywhere. There's not a tree in sight. There's not no palm trees. There's no rice fields. Rice fields are like the natural enemies of sand dunes and vice versa. So they don't often mix. There's just sand. It would be easier for me to understand that I have gone from Vietnam to the Sahara Desert. Because that's what it looked like with a little plonking little, you know, roadhouse in the middle of all this sand all around. There's a roadhouse. There's a white minivan. There is 13 odd sleeping Vietnamese. That's it. It sounds like the plot of some strange B-grade low-budget sci-fi mystery where somehow through the power of extreme foreign comedy and the laughter from within, we were able to go through some sort of teleportation and arrive in the Sahara Desert. And this is not only commonplace because no one's freaking out except one Australian I did not mention that I was wearing a VB t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I just I just bought it at the um at the uh, airport on the way out. Have you ever done that? You know, before you leave you get like a little slice of your own country and like some cheesy shirt or some sort of trinket or something and and you take it out. I haven't done that often, but damn it, I yeah. I did it then, and so I wore the VB t-shirt. There is a photo of me somewhere. Um, VB t-shirt and, like, these cool-ass beads around my um, around my wrist. And that's before, you know, beads were cool. So, you know, you're welcome. So I was taking in the reality of this, and it was a little bit overwhelming. I was struggling with what's going on. I couldn't. What the hell? We all know that Vietnam is full of jungle. We all know that Vietnam is a rainforest country. We all we we all know that it's it's just uh, 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 meltdown. And then, like before, I just eventually just accept the reality. Vietnam has sand dunes. Vietnam has a desert. Because you're standing in the middle of it. This is one of the most confronting sort of educations about the geography of a, of a country that I've ever experienced. So then I had a plan. If I'm going to embrace this, I am going to embrace this. The sun was rising, but it hasn't risen yet. I look up ahead. I see the top of that sand dune. And just like that, I knew exactly what I needed to do. It was right. It was proper. It was a great plan. I, Andrew Kneebone, was going to watch the sunrise in Vietnam while sitting down on a sand dune. Because it's going to take a long time for me to convince anyone else that this could possibly exist. And there's something utterly human about seeing some sort of mountain and then thinking, well, I've got to sit my ass on it because that's the right thing to do. And I did that and I was walking 
up the sand dune, the loose sand falling away. And it was about 10 seconds in for me to be reminded that walking up a sand dune sucks because basically you take one step and you move about a third of that step. I don't care. I'm going to beat the sunrise. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch that sunrise in the desert because, damn it, I need to take control of something. And this is what's happening. So I'm walking up and I'm thinking, once a jolly swagman camped by a billabong, singing that to myself under the shade of a coolabar tree. And he sat and he watched and he waited for his billy to boil, singing, who will come a waltzing Matilda with me? And I'm moving my feet while doing the timing of this. Another side note, while you are singing a song like Walt Sing Matilda or any song, you kind of get puffed much quicker. I should give it a shot. It's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's illuminating, but I made it to the top of the, uh, I don't want to say mountain, it was it was a rise, it was a hill. I made it to the top of the hill and I sat down. And then the golden light of the sunrise rose above the sea, the ocean that I could see. In that perfect silence, no dramatic sound effect. There was no wind. There was nothing, really. Just the perfect sun rising on a perfect horizon. While I felt sand grains between my butt crack. It's a perfect moment. I have about five amazing sunrise stories. And that is my second best. The best one is a story for another day. Thank you for listening to that. That was great. I was, I was closing my eyes and I was going through memory lane and, uh, and thinking about it. So thank you. I appreciate it. I was talking about something else. I need to find the thing that I was t- talking about. Just give me a sec. Okay. Um, that's right. Here we are. The best. Okay, so the motorcycle. This is the getting back to the article, which I think if you... Um, yeah, at the start of the thing, at the start of the, uh, the episode. From K.org, motorcycle, the high bun and the best cup of coffee in Vietnam. Hey, did I tell you that there was a sand... No, I Okay, let me read this. Um, it wasn't love at first sip. Even for Ha Tri Bin... Oh, I'm so sorry for the pronunciation of your name there, by the way. The woman known as the nose and mouth of the award-winning Vietnamese coffee, coffee cooperative, Arate, it took some time to appreciate what was possible. Most of the time, if I drank coffee, it was instant coffee. Ooh, Bin said, 
of her time before Arate. God bless you. Instant coffee. I used to go coffee, but I didn't know how to drink coffee. Oh, hang on, those those quotes. Sorry. Uh, you know how like when you're reading an article and there's like just a you know, random quote that usually is you're not related to that. I just I just read that out. Moving on. Before Arate, when Bin thought of coffee, she thought of quote unquote traditional Vietnamese coffee. The bitter, everyday taste of Robusta being instant offset by the sweetness of spoil-proof canned milk. Don't knock it, by the way. It's pretty good. What these guys do um, in Vietnam is they'll take... Now it's like, you know, a shot of, of actually espresso. They'll pour that over ice and then they'll get, like, just condensed milk and then pour it in, stir that up, and that's that's their coffee. Um, on a stinking hot day, it's actually a really good way to start the day. Back to the story. That coffee was uh, what Bon Appetit calls the hallmark Vietnamese flavor. The punch of strong coffee counterbalanced by honey, unlike condensed milk. But that bitter Vietnamese robust coffee wasn't what Bin saw in Son La as she was growing up. Almost um, like almost everyone in Vietnam where nearly 95% of the registered vehicles and motorcycles, Bin's family travelled everywhere on two wheels. That's true. There's motorbikes everywhere. Bin's family travelled everywhere on two wheels, and Bin rode through the mountains around her home. She saw um, that what had grown there for decades and what her family had farmed for generations was Arabica coffee. FYI, that's kind of... The coffee that you're drinking every day is usually based on Arabica. I'm no expert. I'm no scientist. Um, but that's pretty much. If you just flip over your, your tin, it'll be a blending of, of Arabic coffee. All right. Bin's parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents harvested the fruits of these Arabica trees through the years, and they sold the unprocessed green coffee cherries to various outside companies, who then turned a profit um, on the international market. Outside of Vietnam, people coveted the specialized taste of the uh, temperamental Arabica bean, but it wasn't the most. It wasn't. I'm sorry, but it wasn't what most people in Sun La drank. It makes up only a small portion of the total grown in coffee in the country. The first time I tasted our own coffee, Bin said with a laugh. And I know, I know the laugh. It's delightful. My first impression was how sour it was. The Sonla coffee was so different from what she was used to, she didn't even think she could finish the first cup. Whoa. But luckily, she went back for another sip and then another. And then, as she savoured it, Bin tasted something new. This also comes with an apology as well. I'm so sorry if you are again... Sitting in bed and it's the terrible, or even like the afternoon, you're like, oh, damn it, if I have a coffee tonight, I'm going to be up until, you know, whenever. You know you want to make yourself that coffee, don't you? Just make yourself the coffee. Tomorrow is for tomorrow. Today is for today. Let me continue. But luckily... I, back from another sip, blah, blah, cool. Um, yeah, so she tasted something new, something that changed her life. The flavor of the region 
where her people had been for thousands of years before there was even a concept of Vietnam as a place. We've been living and farming on this land for so long since the time before our great-grandfathers, Bin said, pointing to the fields around the small two-story building up in the mountains where the cooperatives run Aratay. Our ancestors were here. Over the generations, Sun La's ethnically Thai people have developed strong, held beliefs, social norms and cultural traditions, all rooted in the people and place. One tradition, for example, is that the Sun La wife, once she's married, moves into her husband's house. Once she's there with her husband's full and extended family there too, the new bride is expected to take on the unpaid household duties, to take care of the in-laws, the chores, the meals, and in time, the children, all while the husband goes out into the world and earns an income, like the traditional sweet everyday Vietnamese coffee or the traditional Thai hairstyle was nearly all, um, was nearly all married Sun La women wear. Staying home seemed like the way things go in Sun La and the way things always would be. You know there's a twist coming, right? There's always a twist. Almost everyone who gets married lives um, with their husband's family, Ben said. Just like she says, everyone who gets married puts her hair up in a tightly wound high bun. It's a cool image. I'm going to link this into the um, on the website at comfyplacepodcast.com. Go there and check it out. Um, it's kind of like a, a beehive. It's kind of cool. I imagine as well it would be, um, you know, good for the heat. I used to have hair halfway down my back and man in summer was terrible. Until I woke up one day and thought, that's stupid, you're getting a haircut. Yeah, true story. It's an affirmation that the woman is married, been said to the unmistakable hairstyle. We do it all the same way. The high bun rises nearly six inches off the top of the married woman's head, and for her to take her hair down in public would be considered an unfaithful act. That's pressure. Frustratingly for the Thai women in Sun La, while their culture uh, says they should wear the high bun, their country says that they should have to wear helmets. Vietnam mandates it for all cyclists, but no traditional helmets accommodate the high bun. Even though their traditions clash and force Thai women to be uncomfortable, both in the high bun and motorcyclists make up the everyday visual tableau in the life of Sun La. As Bin grew up, all her family and peers seemed to be putting their hands, their hair up, and moving it um, with the new families. My two sisters got married and moved away, Bin said, but I continued to study at the university. Once she turned 17, she got her own motorcycle and zoomed from home to school and back again. Every day, the traditional helmet still fitting, but the traditional life less so. And... A job, of course, would mean less time to take care of any household and her own potential, you know, husband. By the time she graduated, Bin was at the crossroads. Like Bin, Cam and Tin Mon also had ambitions, but her main obstacle wasn't marriage or sweet milk, it was money. Specifically, how independent women would get it. For loans from the state bank, Mont said, women had to be guaranteed by families, husbands or fathers, to be eligible. 
If ambitious, independent women didn't have a man to vouch for them, in other words, they often had no options. Mon decided it was time for that to change. So, in 2016, she helped start the community group that would meet regularly to pool their money and, when they had enough, decide collectively how to spend it. Once in the Village Savings and Loan Association, VSLA, established itself, Mon and the other investor-like-minded entrepreneurial women from around the Central Highlands region uh, to talk about their own experiences and to offer advice. The women of the VSLA wanted something um, they could invest in, something unique to their region, something that could help them stand out uh, from the other handcrafts and regional foods and small businesses offered. They didn't think of coffee, Mon said, because back then it was only men in charge of the coffee production. But some visiting women um, entrepreneurs from Lam Dong helped encourage them, so they took a chance. In 2019, Mon said, we set up a small group to process coffee, and in a few months the Ara Tay Coffee Cooperative was officially you know, established. While I was home studying, Bin said, I also started farming coffee for my parents, working in the fields every day. But at first, I didn't join the cooperative. I just attended a training course from CARE. As women of the Women's Economic Justice Initiative that had helped Mon with her VSLA and CARE, also had been supporting experts to train the community on the specialty coffee production. Mon says that the time... There was many women in similar positions to Ben, young women graduates just starting to branch out and to see what things might be possible for their generation. But both Min and Mon admitted it was hard. Arate was just figuring out how to turn local soil and traditional traditions into something they themselves could share with the outside world. And not everyone agreed they should be branching out from simply growing coffee into owning a whole process. In the past, Mon said, I only knew of how to plant, take care of, and sell fresh fruit to traders outside. I didn't know how to produce coffee beans to the final product. The Arate women were learning, but they still didn't have, um, was someone who was uh, one essential skill that was hardest to learn, one that men seemed to have a monopoly on. Taste. While most of the trainings focused on the techniques and aspects of coffee production, CARE had helped Arate bring in the representative from the Italian-run international coffee importer called Intercom SPA. He was there to help teach the group of finer points of professional coffee tasting. And this happens to be one of those uh, trainings Bin decided to attend. The test. Intercom SBA had students take involved describing the coffee in detail, slowly listening, listing all the different flavours and textures that they could taste. Bin dutifully did what she was asked to do, and then she waited for the uh, rest of the class and for the results. She was a young woman, a recent graduate, and her experience with specialised coffee was mostly just harvesting it, harvesting it from family and friends. No, uh, no one would have thought she would stand out. No one would suspect she had taste. But after she'd taken her first sip, something happened, and the results 
showed. When people saw the results, they were really surprised, Bin said. I was surprised too, she says. It turned out that once Bin got over her initial reaction to that first sip, she had a talent for picking out the coffee's distinct and layered flavours. She had what all Epicureans strive for, but actually have. She actually had taste. I started to learn by drinking more coffee, feeling the flavours more, Bin said. I joined a number of coffee production companies to evaluate the quality of coffee in Sunla. And then I joined the North Wales Crop Research Centre and joined with um, Fuxin to evaluate the coffee each year. I love this. I want this job. And with Bin officially in the fold, Ara Tay took off. Again, this, this is at care.org. So, awesome website. I'm feeling a bit guilty because I'm reading the whole thing, but I just go there and just give them traffic. Care to Org. We continue. Now, three years after the first cup, Bin is the primary coffee taster and the quality grader for Arate, she says. When I taste a cup of coffee grown, cared for, processed, roasted, and finished by my own hands, I feel it has historical process of the homeland where we live. The new normal in Sunla. Some things are still the way they have always been in Sunla. On any given day, you can still see Bin and her motorcycle zooming around the mountains, but instead of going to school or coming from friends' houses, she's now riding from the VSLA to the greenhouse to the farm and back home. There, too, some things are the same, while others are quite different. I raised the first issue, Bin laughs. This was when my family, uh, when my husband gets married to me, he will live with my family. Her family is still the traditional Thai stilled house, but they live there now in a slightly untraditional way. Along with her family, there is now, in a reverse of usual roles, Bin's husband and Bin's family's house, and a newborn baby girl. Bin, her family... Mon, and the rest of the Arate um, world are helping the Sunland community adapt their ancient tradition and traditions to fit with today. Bin's husband and father often stay behind now to care for the baby, and Bin's motors off to work on her head with, um, with what's now also uh, now an everyday sight in Sunla, the new motorcycle helmet, a specialty made for the Thai women with the extra room on top of the high bun. You've got to go to the website and check this out. It's actually cool. Um, to describe it now for those who are listening, essentially, as you know, they've got like a, a really tight bun. So they've they've got a, uh, you know, the top of their head sort of sticking out with a high bun. They've now got a helmet that actually has the space for the actual um, the bun as well. So when they put it on, it just doesn't hurt. That initially attracted me to the story of the, uh, you know, of, of Bin. And I, I didn't, I was just swept away by that. And of course, the story of the fact that they've, they've been growing this coffee for years, but just, you know, the bean and stuff and, and the raw green bean and selling it off to the international uh, people. But as it turns out, she's a bit of a druid because, you know, we're doing that now when it comes to taste. And so, yeah, so check out, I actually want to check out RTA Coffee. I wonder if you can get it in Melbourne. We've got a massive Vietnamese community here. 
Um, so I am. Um, I, I chances are, I'll let you know if there is RNT coffee and what it tastes like. I might have to just go to Vietnam and um, taste the coffee. What do you think? Good idea. I think it's a great idea. So yeah, that's that's the amazing story of the um of the transformation of, of a local area, how coffee was was getting made. And as a side note, they also have a new safety helmet. Completely, completely random. Okay, well that was amazing and thank you very much for for going on that journey with me, not only on the new stuff, but allowing me to just take a walk down memory lane to one of the most random and amazing moments of my life. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before. I find ways to just drop that conversation in, you know, incessantly, because it's one of the most happiest moments of my life. Someone just has to be like, oh, I went to the beach today and the sand was nice. And then I'm just like jumping on that line going, oh, the sand was nice. Well, let me tell you about that time. And just, you know, I'm off and they can't even stop me. It's, um, yeah, I'm incredibly annoying with that. And if you know me and you're listening to it, chances are you're nodding your head right now going, yeah, yeah, you are. But stories are meant to be told. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Hopefully you're having a great day and you're taking a moment to yourself and it's just going to continue from there. If you're not, just grab that old comfy bit of clothing and just stick it on. You deserve it. I may be biased, but yeah, I think you deserve it. I'll talk to you soon. You have a great day. Okay, bye. Stay safe.